What's going on, coaches? Uh, I'm a day right now removed from recording our first uh, talking ball in the dojo uh, with our guys over at Bigsby, uh, the offensive coaches, Coach Schneider, uh, and, and all his other offensive coaches that came in. Uh, we had an absolute blast, uh, the four of us, uh, and, and I learned a ton from it. It was awesome to see how, I didn't even know what Y-Cross was, but how he put in Y-Cross and, and made that one one of two dropback plays that he has, how he made it look like a bunch of different uh, drop back plays, but keep it really simple for his guys. So anyways, I had a blast on that. That'll be up here within the week, probably within the next couple of days. Um, so you guys can go check that out. If you're a part of RTP premium, that's going to be under talking ball. It's our first uh, recording out of the dojo. We had a blast. We've got uh, three other coaches coming on just this month. So we're excited to continue to learn and, and push that out to you guys. You can find that on RTP premium, uh, which is only if you buy it for a year, 10 bucks a month, um, and you also get uh, coupon codes to all of our um, summits. So uh, go check that out, all of that on our website, runthepower.com. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Guardian Caps. Do you have linemen? Are their helmets getting scuffed up during inside run period? If so, there's a way to protect those shells and reduce the repetitive blows your guys are taking during the week. Guardian Caps reduces 20 to 33% of the impact really focusing on those big guys in the trenches, like we coach. Worn by Clemson, Texas, Oklahoma, Washington, Virginia, 150 other colleges, and over 1,500 high schools across the country, including mine at Broken Arrow and Coach Walls in Ankeny. They are currently running an early bird promo. It's an unbelievable uh, price for them right now. 40 caps for $2,000 uh, with 10 of them for free, plus 10 free. So you get 10 free ones as well. Check them out in our free show uh, in our show notes or go to guardiansports.com slash football. This episode of the podcast is also brought to you by our guys over at Just Play. The team at Just Play hooked us up with their product, as you guys know, uh, and it's been a game changer for us. If you've seen us on Twitter or uh, have talked to us about this at all. We obviously especially love the playbook tools that allow us to create our favorite blocking schemes, as you guys know, power, counter, inside zone, pin and pull. Uh, and formations so we can save time and be more productive. That's the biggest part. Saves time on defenses, saves time on, on inputting offensive uh, formations, and then easy to draw the play out. Just Play is a limited time offer for RTP listeners only. Get my Just Play Pro for $120, which is an unbelievable $60 off the normal list price. Uh, this offer has been extended uh, and won't last forever. You can get this deal at JustPlaySolutions.com RTP. The best playbook tool on the market at JustPlaySolutions.com slash RTP. Don't wait. Go do it today. On this episode of RTP, we talk with Steven Sorrells. Coach Sorrells is the offensive line coach for the Saskatchewan Rough Riders in Saskatchewan, Canada. Listen as we talk with Coach Sorrells about how he coaches professional offensive line athletes, his stints at the college level including UAB and SMU, and how he coaches man sort and pass protection as opposed to man slide. You can follow Coach Sorrells on Twitter at Coach Sorrells. Hope you guys enjoy. So I'm Steven Sorrells. I'm currently the offensive line coach and run game coordinator for the Saskatchewan Rough Riders in the CFL. Um, you know, I, I started out, you know, coaching high school football years ago when, uh, you know, I wasn't much of a player. I was a lot better baseball player than I was a football player, but I always loved football more. And 
Um, I, I was playing college baseball and um, I blew out my elbow, had to have Tommy John surgery. And I'm probably the only person in Dr. James Andrews history that's retore the graph after, after the Tommy John surgery. So Jeez. After that, I just started, you know, I was like, heck with it, you know, because that was, you know, it was, it was about, back then it was about a two, a two and a half year process to get over it, you know, because it's a lot, it was a lot different, you know, 15 years, 20 years ago. And uh, so I just started coaching and while I was finishing my, my degree from old high school coach and, uh, and then um, uh, coached at a couple other high schools while I was finishing my degree. Uh, and then got my first college job, and uh, I helped start the program at Faulkner University around the mid-2004, 2005, because I believe when we started that in Montgomery, Alabama, and then uh, uh, took a high school head coaching job for a year, and then my father passed away and owned a couple of businesses where I'm from in Alabama, so I got out of coaching full-time to take care of that, and uh, um, just while I was doing that, stay involved in football, ran the offense from old high school coach where I'm from in Alabama. And then uh, uh, went from L.A. to L.A., went from lower Alabama to Los Angeles to be the offensive line coach uh, at Occidental College uh, huh. uh, for a couple years and went from there to be the offensive coordinator at Kenyon College in Ohio. Uh, and then was at UAB in 14 when they shut the program down. Um, and then went from UAB after that whole deal, went to uh, Pearl River Community College for a year. Then I was at SMU with Chad Morris for a year, and, the, and then I went uh, to Saskatchewan and been there the last four years. Well, Coach, that's a big um, that's a big jump, I would assume, from for an Alabama guy. I, I don't want to make any assumptions about uh, us guys that are from the, the southern states, but to, but to go from Alabama to – L.A., uh, was that a, a little bit of a, a difference, a little bit of a – not only was it culture shock, but uh, was it a, a little bit of a change for you going uh, at two, you know, seems it, like polar opposite places? It, it was, but I tell you, you know, when you work with good people, I think it makes it a lot more comfortable than it probably would have been if I didn't work with such great individuals. That, you know, all, all the coaches I've worked with there were – were just tremendous human beings and good people and kind of welcomed me in and made me feel real welcome there and uh, and whatnot. And I tell you, it was probably one of the best things I did in my career just because, you know, um, I never coached outside the state of Alabama until that point, so I didn't have a lot of recruiting contacts and having recruited outside Alabama or the South, you know, really only ever recruited like, you know, Alabama, Mississippi, and Georgia. And, uh, and being able to – recruits a different part of the of the country really really helped me and whatnot but uh you know I, I think that if I wouldn't have been around such good people it probably would have been a lot less comfortable out there most definitely <laughs> well so so interesting to me about the the whole UAB deal uh you know when you were there that's that's an unbelievable uh time to be able to say that you were a part of that UAB uh I actually was playing at Houston I think at the same time uh, right. My last year was 15 or 14 or 15. Uh, yeah. So I'd actually, I'd played at UAB against UAB in 11. And then we went to the uh, Birmingham, one of the Birmingham Bulls. I don't yeah. know what it was called at the time, but yeah. played uh, Vanderbilt in, in Birmingham. So I've been to the stadium, know a little bit about UAB. Um, what was, was that whole thing kind of out of the blue? How long were you at UAB uh, before that happened? I would assume, most coaches are, are kind of worried at all times in college. Like, if we do really well, we're moving. If we do really bad, we're moving. 
but I wouldn't think it would ever come across your mind that, hey, we may not even have football here. No, you know, we, you know, I was only there for that season because I came in with Coach Clark. When Coach Clark got the job, when Coach went to Jacksonville State, um, you know, one of my good friends in this business is a guy I played high school football against him. I've been, him and his family, have been, we've been close for a long time, and that's Jody Wright. And uh, Jody was on, like, they, you know, when Bill took the Jacksonville job, they were trying to, you know, trying to hire me then, and it just didn't work out. And then when Bill took the UAB job, it happened to work out where I could go join him. And I tell you, dude, you know, I went from a Division three football coach, and I've been trying to get into Division one football for a number of years, and I finally get that opportunity. And then eight months later, we go six and six, the best record they've had in, you know, mm-hmm. um, 12 years. And, and, I, and, I'm, and I'm out of it. You know, I was like, man, I worked, I worked <laughs> an FBS job, and now it's just, up, it's just gone. But we really didn't have a, you know, it was kind of a crazy deal. We didn't really, really realize that it could be a possibility until probably around game eight or nine. There was an article article that came out on we were playing I remember I remember we we're playing La Tech. I don't remember what we it was later in the year uh, uh but there was you know three or four games to go in the year we're playing La Tech. we're trying to get bowl eligible and uh La Tech had a really good team you know Manny Diaz was the coordinator that year um you know they had Driscoll at quarterback as a grad transfer they had a good football team and, um and you know that there was a big article that leaked that it could be a possibility that they shut the program down in the year it was probably the worst game we played all year. Um, uh, that year, we didn't play very well, and my take ended up beating us by like ten or something. But uh, I really didn't have any any idea that was going to happen. And then uh, we just thought if we got bowl eligible, it's just like there's no way they can do this. And we, you know, we're we're sitting at five and six, going to play Southern Miss at Southern Miss the last game of the year. And you know, Jordan Howard um, was our tailback, and Jordan ran for like three twenty five that day. And we, we, we beat Southern Miss, I think it was 48 to 10. And we're like, you go from just absolutely dominating Southern Miss and getting bowl eligible to two days later, like, you know, you know, sitting in that meeting, which everybody's seen the YouTube and, you know, kind of deal. I don't know if y'all have, I know a lot of people have, but they're just, uh, just that whole thing was, was just, it was just crazy. So, uh, you know, it was, um, you know, but you have a lot of special bonds with people from that team, a couple of guys at the convention that, or players on that team that are coaching now, and you know, you forever linked with those guys, you know. So, well, coach, coach I, that's funny. You you bring up Law Tech. That was um, between Law Tech and and I hate to say it, but in UAB, I think those were the the race for kind of the the two stadiums I hated going to the most. Yeah, that's uh, why they're building that new one in Birmingham. <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly right. Now, it was really cool how big it was, and that Alabama played there, but. Uh, yeah. The visitor locker room and just everything else about it. Uh, I wasn't the biggest fan. I wasn't wasn't real happy when we got the the Birmingham bowl game. Well, I remember when they had the upper deck there. You know, you know back they had to take the upper deck down at Legion probably, and God, I can't remember the year. But I, here's a funny story to tell y'all, not to get off too strap. But there's a, there's a guy that was a high school football coach in Alabama for for a number of years. He's he's out. He doesn't coach anymore. I think he's in politics now, actually. But he was watching it. He didn't have a degree. He was like a he was selling cars or something. And it was before they took the the upper deck off Legion Field, and a huge piece of concrete broke off the upper deck, mm-hmm. hit the guy watching the Alabama game, and knocked him out. And he luckily survived. 
and didn't have too bad brain damage. But one of the things that he got out of it was he got like a degree from the University of Alabama. That's how he was able to start coaching. Uh, that, because that's how he got his degree is was part of the settlement from the big chunk of rock coming down. And, oh, and, my gosh. <laughs> but uh, it's uh, – that's, it's uh that new place is going to be good for Birmingham though that new stadium is going to be nice. Coach man, I, I was going to ask you a little bit too. You know, being from from Alabama, it just seems like a lot of the kids that you recruit out of that area. I mean, obviously great athletes, but you you know you see a, a lot of tough kids and kids that you know go to other places and, and make it. You know, I've, I've always I follow Nebraska football and they'll pull you know a couple of kids out of Alabama, it seems, you know, every couple of years. And, and usually those kids are going to pan out because for whatever reason, I mean, obviously they got, you know, confidence, talent, and athletic ability, but they're also, you know, tough. Can you talk a little bit about, you know, to, to me it always seemed like Alabama, it, you know, obviously everybody knows about the university, you know, and they know that there's some great athletes there, but there's so many other schools that are able to come in and steal, you know, kind of under the radar guys or gems or, or, you know, guys that end up going to the NFL. It seems like, you know, per capita, Bama's putting all kinds of, of uh, NFL talent in the league and they're coming from all different kinds of schools. Oh, they're coming from all over. And, you know, and, and especially the way recruiters got now for like Alabama and Auburn is because they're such a national brand is, you know, there's, there's always a lot of really, really good football players you know, left over in the state. And I think the thing about it is, it, you know, it's just in, in Alabama, it, and it's, it's when I was growing up, there was no, you know, we didn't know anything about soccer. We didn't know anything about hockey. You know, some of these other, they're really good sports. And of course, with me being in Canada, I've learned more about hockey <laughs> I bet. than I knew in my previous, you know, 32 years of existence, you know, but um, you know, it's, it's, it's all about football in this state. You know, it's, it's everything's driven by football. And, you know, I just think that there's still a lot of good, hardworking folks in the state of Alabama that, you know, that are still have a big blue collar mentality that, you know, their kids have chores, you know, they, they, you know, they have to, you know, they have to do their chores and their homework before they do this. You know, that's just, you know, how people are still raised in a lot of places around, especially some of these smaller places in Alabama. And, and, that, and that's where, to me, that's where a lot of that comes from is that blue-collar mentality. And, and I think the biggest part about it, and I see this in pro football all the time, and, you know, and, and we were telling some Kobe Bryant stories with some buddies the other day after the tragedy, and we're like, you know, the thing that I love about Kobe Bryant the most was the dude generally loved ball. He just loved the game of basketball. And no matter and, – and it's a lot like these kids in Alabama. If your best players love the game, not what the game gives them, you know, not, you know, if they truly love the game, then, you know, they're going to, they're going to do, it's going to mean a lot to them and they're going to do a lot of extra things and, and you'll show and how, how they prepare, how they practice, how they can, how they play. And, you know, I think that's, it's still a great reminder is, you know, in pro football, it's like, <laughs> I'm telling you from coaching pro football, no matter CFL, NFL, if you're most talented players, you highest paid players, if they don't love ball, it's going to be tough to win. It's going to be tough to win. So, I just think that's the big part about it. There's just still a lot of uh, people, families in Alabama raising their kids the right way, and, and there's a lot of guys that just really, really love to play, play the game. Is that something when you were recruiting that you tried to find out about a kid? Uh, if so, kind of how, how did you – maybe what are some of the things that you tried to do to find something out like that about a kid? You know, of course, yeah, definitely. You know, we took a – you know, you know, um, you know, especially when I was at the FBS level, you know, that – you know those most of those guys can play 
and pitch you, you know, if, if you're recruiting them. Um, you know, that, that to me, that's where you got to find out, you know, you got to, you know, talk to the high school football coach. And that's the big thing I love about Chad Morris was it's like we're, we're going – like the high school football coach matters. You know, some programs, it's about their handlers, this and that nowadays. You know, I've been out of about four years from a recruiting standpoint, but from at the end, that's kind of how it got. And we always – we did we wherever the places I've been, we wanted to deal with the high school football coach. And we wanted to have a great relationship with the high school football coach where they felt part of us where we could get that type of information from them, you know, hey, does this guy really love football? And and, and to me, you're really going to – you can really tell by the way the, the kid – when you go to watch him practice. Because if you're going – when you – once you've signed a kid, you guys know how – you know, you've probably seen that guy practice from his sophomore year on up, you know, multiple times. He's been on your campus multiple times. You know, and you're to me, you're going to have a pretty good idea about that. You're not going to be 100% right all the time, but that's definitely something – that we always put a huge premium on, and, and, I, and especially I do. Coach, yeah, I, I think that's – go ahead, Walls. I was going to say, I think that's a, you know, massively overlooked thing too. And then, you know, getting in there and seeing how, how kids will work in the weight room too. You know, I, I think that's a, another big – when we get a, a lot of guys that come in in the morning and that's, that's literally all they want to be able to do is, you know, Coach, I just want to kind of be a fly on the wall and just watch guys work and, and just kind of, see, you know, see, see what they do and then how they interact with guys, things like that. I think that's a really good point, Coach. Yeah, no doubt about it. And then – and that's the other thing, too, is when – you know, I remember when I was still recruiting, it was like I would always – I'd be mad if I couldn't find a program to watch work out or practice at 6 o'clock in the morning because I could get some – that was another school I could get to that day. You know, that was another relationship. And if, you, and if I could find – if, and you know those kids know how to work. If, you, if you're sitting there and those kids got to be in the weight room at six in the morning, they they've had some accountability, having to get get out of bed, get ready, get there on time, you know. So, and I always thought that was a plus too because you knew it came from a good high school football program. Coach, you've been to a couple different, uh, you know, obviously universities and and now uh, at the pro level. I, you know, I would assume that uh, your your scheme and and different things you you guys have have uh, I'm sure been has changed uh, a little ways along the ways, depending on what offense you were in and, and uh, some of those things. How has that maybe morphed or changed, or have you kind of stuck with, you know, your guns and you've always been a, a certain scheme guy? Uh, how has that maybe evolved for you? And, and at the college level, you know, uh, at least in, in theory, you can kind of recruit to uh, your scheme or, or what you're wanting to do. So how has that maybe uh, changed for you over the years? It, you know, from a run game standpoint, it hasn't changed much at all. I've always been a huge inside zone and, and a gap guy. You know, um, you know, we used to run – it, it kind of depends on the coordinator how much outside zone that, that we've ran. I love outside zone, but you'll hear people saying, I'm a big believer, and if you're going to run outside zone, you got to – you got to commit to it. You know, you got, that's got to be your number one run, in my opinion. But – you know, we no matter to me, every level I was at in college and, and still in the CFL, you know, we you know we run a lot of inside zone, and we're actually the only team in the CFL that runs in, that runs true power. You know, uh, you'll see some teams in CFL still run some GT counter and some guard tight end counter, uh, stuff like that, you know. Uh, but, you know, we're – you know, it's, it's kind of – you know, going to the CFL, some things – you know, it's still the same schemes. We still run the same stuff. You know, we've had to tweak some stuff here and there with that guy having to be a yard off the football from some technique standpoint. 
but you know I, I've just we've always been you know big inside zone you know and, and power and counter type of team uh, the thing that is I think that's broadened my horizon in the last four years is I threw I thought I knew a lot about protection schemes before I came to the CFL but I got a doctorate in protection schemes now uh, for the CFL uh, just from the the extra defender and when you know all the all the you know because with with the one less it's not because of 12 guys it's the one less down people will blitz zero you a whole lot more in the CFL than they will down south because they got one less down to be wrong you know so um, you know I think that's the thing that's kind of morphed more than the run game is just the how how I you know my knowledge of protections now so what's something that maybe you would change if you came back to to the states now that you've like you said kind of got your doctorate but I'm sure it's still different because uh the rules are are a little bit different but what are some one thing or maybe a couple things that uh you come if you were to come back to the states that you would change up or you would lean on a little bit harder in pass protection well I think the biggest thing is just um the thing that I, I think that we've done a great job in the last couple of years is that 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 we not necessarily we did a bad job when I was down south, but I would change is just the amount of time we do spend on the protection plan itself, on every protection that we're gonna have in, you know, versus everything, and how we kind of lay out our protection plan, and how we put it together, and how we kind of install it to the guys is, is one thing, and uh, you know I think that. You know, and, and pro football too. You know, I think that you know we also spend as much time now game planning the type of sets and hands we want to use for a guy that week as we do the protection scheme itself. You know, and that's something that's kind of evolved for me in the last three to four years um, that we weren't doing a ton of that way. You know, because I think that a lot of people down south just get into the you know. You know, especially a lot of the up-tempo teams, hey, we're going, you know, we're going six-man protect, five-man protect, and that's it. And we don't care what you do, you know, we're just going to play fast and we're going to manslide you and, and live with it. And, and in my opinion, just from my last four years, that's a good way to get your quarterback's head knocked off. You know, so no matter if you're playing fast or you're a huddle team, you better have a plan to make sure that quarterback's staying up right. How involved then do you uh, do you keep the quarterback? I know I, I, lo I love digging into the protection plan stuff, and I also love the uh, the different sets and things for personnel. How much do you then put on the the quarterback for all that stuff with, with his checks, or is that something where you guys are taking a, a bulk load of the uh, of that kind of off of his plate? We're taking the, we're taking all that off of his plate because in the, C in the CFL we have a twenty second play clock, so there's no way for the quarterback to be able to to Mike point protections and get us in the right protections and get his pre-snap freeze and the ball be snapped in time. We get a delayed game every time. So our center has to control all that. Our, our, I spend a lot of time with our quarterbacks during the week of making sure they understand what, you know, they, they're, they're in our protection meeting. So on day one, we have our protection meeting uh, where we go and we install the entire thing, the protection plan for the week. You know, all the, the base protection plan, all the looks that give us, you know, any exotics, anything different, any any tweaks for the week, any alert calls, or we're having to flip a protection that week, or we're having to make a protection, a four-by-two protection, anything we're trying to do, you know, we're going through that day. 
and they have a on their iPads, they have a detailed thing they go through themselves. And then about two days later, I meet with the quarterbacks again just to make sure because the biggest thing our quarterbacks, I want to make sure they know is, okay, in this six-man protection, from what we've seen, this is what you're hot off of. Uh, hey, we're seven-man Hey, we're seven man protecting, but they, they add off the seventh guy really fast, so you don't have as much time as you think this week. Hey, and these five-man looks, you know, when we're in five-man pro, you know, understanding where they're hot is the biggest thing. And when we're, when we're trying to do our five-man protection plan for the week, 99% of the time I'm trying to make it where we're trying to always put that hot in his face. Now, there's times and certain things we see where it can't be, but as long as he knows, He's hot to his backside versus that look for that week. We're good. That's the biggest thing they have to do a great job of understanding. And two is because, like I said, in the CFL, we see so much seven-man blitz zero. They have to understand where that hot guy is all the time. I love hearing that. I think that's something that uh, Walls is, is smiling right now, uh, hearing that with the quarterbacks on, on uh, empty protection. Uh, so uh, I'm kind of, you know, I'm the guy that I've spent a lot of time on run game, still younger, but spent a lot of time on run game. And I go back to, hey, in pass pro, we're basically going to man side and we're going to slide side. Uh, but I've been trying to dig deeper into the pass pro side of things, at least for our six-man protections. What are maybe some some of your change-ups to man and a slide side uh, out of your six-man protections? Uh, because I, I would like to be able to do that. And then also, uh, we would like to be able to put some things on our center. So so maybe, like you just said, it's just each week you have different looks, you're going to flip protections. Uh, but but how do you kind of go through those? Well, you know, the first, the first thing we're going to do is, you know, everything for us is we're not a man slide team. We're a man sort team where we're going to, we're going to, we're going to make points and, and make, right. we're going to have alert calls off our points and whatnot. And depending on how many people we're sorting is to say, you know, we keep it pretty simple. Like a Ray and a leaf for us are, or it's three letters in it, the three man sorts, right? Rocks and loads, there's four letters, there's four man sorts. Roger and Larry's have got five letters or five-man sorts. So depending on how many people we're sorting is, so if we're sorting three, we're going to sort the three most dangerous rushers to that side right? and off our points. And, you know, we have to understand, like, how we build our six-man protections and whatnot. It's all our – and our six-man protections is to our sort side, that's where all our sorts and our NBM rules come into play because, you know, we could get four to the sort side Right, and our tackle knows he, you know, okay, well, shit, we're we're sorting, we're sorting three. Well, our point came. I have a DB coming in the B gap. Well, I got to, I got to squeeze that off so we're hot off the widest guy, you know. So we're we're more of a man sort and building that way, and we build in what we. The first thing we do is we build in what we call flip call. All flip call for us is is we're flipping the protection. So maybe uh, the best way to look at it down south is, hey, our our center sees that the, 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 the strong safety's topping the, sand, the nickel sand of the field. We feel like we're getting the NCAA uh, blitz to the field. Maybe we have been sorting into the boundary. Well, now that guy, the, the safety's topping the nickel sand. Let's flip that. So now we're going to sort to the field. The back knows, well, my first non-declare is really to the boundary now, but we flipped it for a reason. So he's on that side. So, hey, I, I need to check that first non-declare just real quick, just in case the center was wrong. So we're still good, right? but now we're able to pick up four of the field easier just based on that flip call, you know, by putting that on the center. 
So, you know, that just comes into for, first for me, having to study that a lot, but also giving those guys the tools to be able to have adjustments like that. You know, because we used to Ringo Lucky protections. Most base six-man protections are three-by-three three protections where you're basically if you Ringo Lucky to protection, it becomes a four-by-two protection. You're putting the point in the back on the same side. Well, if you do that and you're wrong and they bring something to the other side, you're, you're screwed, you know. Right. That's kind of why we came up with a flip call where, hey, running back, understand that your first non-declared really is now the will, but we flipped it for a reason, right? Check him to make sure, but you're now still the side where he can take the widest of the four to the field, you know. So that's kind of why we started and our guys felt more comfortable with the flip call than Ringo and Lucky in those protections, you know, and it's safer, like I said. So those are some things we do, you know, um, you know, and some, our biggest thing, no matter if it's pass protection, uh, inside zone, whether it's power counter, whatever it is, whatever scheme we're running, all right, is we tell our guys, we're going to find the six most dangerous players at the line of scrimmage. We're going to find the bigs that are in the game and Mike and Will. That's where everything's going to start for us. And protection, we're going to count for the bigs wherever they line and wherever they end up, okay? And so that's kind of where we start understanding, hey, who are the, who are the six most dangerous dudes on the field? Well, those are the six box players. You know, and you might be playing an Okie team that week, okay? So, okay, are we going to count the Joker or the Jack guy? Are we counting him as a big or are we counting him as a little? You know, and, and kind of going from there. But that's the biggest thing for me is, okay, hey, this is where we start. We're going to find the four bigs. We're going to find Mike and Will. We're going to start. So, when you, when you talk uh, – this is super interesting to me, Coach. So, when you talk that three-man sort, and, and so you're, you're – you know, your center right guard, right tackle are on a three-man sort, and they're kind of looking for – like you said, the, the three dangerous over there on the right with the point. Um, it, but like you also said, you know, if, if even though the tackle's thinking it's these three, if, if someone were to rush inside, um, you know, whoever uh, comes, he might have to squeeze that off. What are, you, what are you telling those guys to keep their eye? Are they just – are they big eyes trying to see everything? Uh, do they have certain guys they're looking at that should tip them off? What are those yeah, guys looking at on the sort side? You know, so on the sword side, so basically, let's just say the tackle, because sometimes the tackle can lose the, the lineman or the point if that guy is leveraged him inside, right? It's, it's tough to say, hey. Yeah, exactly. In a point now. So it's basically giving them those rules in the sense that, you know, you know, understanding, okay, who Mike Will is, who the bigs are, who is by position. So basically our base rule is that tackle for three-man sorting is he has to MDM any plus one of the point that's a non-box player, okay? So now, so if he gets, let's say, the nickel Sam that blitzes inside of him and he has to squeeze that off, well, a lot of the times for us is if the back does have to scan and pick up a big, it's, it's really not that many times. Usually, you know, if, if the back does have to come do that, we're still – he's still having to block the widest guy, even though we had to put him on a big, which we don't like doing all the time. You know, most of the time when our tackles have to do that, we are throwing hot off that guy anyway because our back got eaten up by somebody – to the boundary or to, if he was to the field or whatever, you know. So that, that tackle's base rule is, like I said, any he has to MDM to the source side, any plus one non-box player, if that makes sense. Yes, yes, it does. That's what I was uh, – you know, that's kind of what I was curious about. I'm trying to put myself in the tackle situation. So, so you've got – let's say you've got a three and a five to that side. And, and the, like you said, the, the mic – or the point – 
uh, is inside the tackle, so he's hard to see. If you get like a five stays outside, three comes underneath, and then the no, let's say you got a three and a five, you got the point, and now the nickel comes off the edge, and the three and the five slant underneath. It's it's a, the, he's the extra guy, so he would just stay on that nickel. The pre snap, the tackle's got to understand the alignment of the of the Sam. If he feels like that guy's sugar and, and and starting to unwrap or is tight to the box, then he'll give him a, a jet call, and then the center can always push him out. So it's I like gotcha. The push out past the point. So that's all on the center, and that's something that we work a lot. You know, okay. The, the tackle right there, he's sitting there knowing right that okay. So I'm the nickel Sam's getting tight to the box now, right? We're in something. Well, let's say we're two by two, three by whatever. Is nickel Sam's getting tight in the box, okay, all right. Jet, jet, jet. If I get the out call from the center, I can push out. If I don't get the out call from the center, I know I can't pass I can't pass by the five. And the center's just looking at, does he think that, that the point's going to come or not? Yes, correct. You I know, got you. You know, and, and it's, you know, we're lucky, you know, is, is you know, too, you got to understand the meters, just like we talked about on sure. Board. Or in the insides of five man protections, if on, if on right before the snap, if that if that backer sitting with parallel feet with you know his heels at five yards, and I'm getting a jet call from my tackle, let's go ahead and push out and make that guy the most dangerous guy in our back and make it right. The other thing we can do if we're seeing a team that we know is going to bring that nickel Sam a whole lot, like we'll, we'll play teams that okay. So what I do in our so in our in our when I'm making the protection plan for the week. Is I have a I have a, a blitz uh, chart right that that we've made and and I can tell you by player how many times that guy's blitz right so we're playing we're playing Hamilton all right well their Sam is a pretty is more is a is a they like to blitz him a lot let's say he like so in Hamilton this year their Sam actually blitz more than their Mike and Will combined so that week okay if we were sorting to the field we went ahead and made what we call a rip blitz call. But we we now push the point out of the box one of the nickel Sam. Now our backs will go reader in the box. I got you. All right. So we're playing, you know, like when we're playing, let's say we're, we played Winnipeg in the West Final this year. Well, in a five-game breakdown, th- their Mike linebacker had blitzed uh, 92 times or Will had blitzed 89 times and their Sam had blitzed four times. So, you know, by priori that week, you know, that's kind of how we start to build kind of mm-hmm. – we have our base protection rules for everything, but that kind of falls in line how we're going to treat some things that we by that. That 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 right there, what you just described, Coach. I mean, that's what I did when I was at, at Tulsa, and you you do the protection plan. That's why these things were are so fascinating to me, and it changed a lot. You know what I did when I started coaching offensive line, but I know you know Bo- Boise State was the same way, and and they were shocked. Like we we'd moved all of our protections. You know, we were sorting to the boundary. You know, where, where most teams would be, quote, you know, sorting to the field and they're like, and they call this afterwards and they're like, you know, how come you guys, you know, you'd shown most of the time you were a sort team to the field. And it was like, well, Coach Walls had found out you guys blitzed your, your Sam like four times in four games. So, I mean, he, he was just, a, you know, basically a glorified cover safety and they never brought him. And then, like you said, the, the six most dangerous guys, you know, they had three defensive linemen that were going to play in the NFL. And then they'd yeah. bring their, their mic or their will. So, I mean, it was, it was pretty easy for us to be able to figure that out. And, but, again, they, they were, like, shocked. That, and I'm like, well, that's why you should be self-scouting your, your, uh, your pressures. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. And that's, that's, that's why, you know, that year I was with at SMU with Chad, you know, me and, me and Dustin Fry, um, 
I got me and Dustin Fry worked together there, and I tell you, that's one of the best experiences I had. I think Dustin Fry's a heck of a football coach, and we worked really, really well together. And we, you know, we, you know, I think you know that year Houston had beaten they beat uh, Oklahoma to start the year, and then they were ranked number eleven in the country, and we played them at SMU, and we beat them like 30, 36 to ten or something that night. And you know that was when Ed Oliver was a freshman, and you know, they were really good on defense. Carl Orlando does a heck of a job, and they run a ton of different sub packages on third down like configure it people different lined up different all the time but we figured out there was one guy you had to find wherever that one guy was slide to him so that week on you know we were going to slide to that one guy no matter what protection we had called we were the center was going to control us but we were going to slide to wherever that one guy was aligned and that's what we were going to sort that week, you know so it's a lot of the same stuff that, that that you're talking about that's the biggest thing is like you know, like, you know, if, if they're not going to blitz that guy, then, you know, you know, you still got to have rules to be able to make adjustments in the game. But why am I going to sit there and spend all week, you know, worrying about this when the numbers are telling me something else? So is that something that you guys did even even in, when you were at, uh, in the States? Were you a man sort and, and didn't think of it as, as a slide? The only thing I've ever been around is, is slide. I think sorts, I've kind of heard it, but have never really uh, been – really indoctrinated in it before were you guys were you Not man really. sort in college no we were when i was at uab we're more man slide you know and i look back on it now i think i was an idiot you know <laughs> 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 and, you know and then at, at uh when we were at smu we we did a lot of stuff top not top but whether we were keeping it out of the box or we were going to push it out for the sam based on the field free safety you know uh or, or the field strong safety uh, and, and whatnot, whether we were, you know, four, taking four big, <laughs> excuse me, in the mic or we were going to slide out to the Sam, you know, it was kind of what we were doing at SMU and whatnot. But, no, we were, really got, got into this true man sort of stuff when I got the CFL. And, you know, and I'm t it's been the, probably the best thing that I've done, you know, uh, you know, and, and, and whatnot. I know some there's some NFL teams that, are, that do it. You know, I talk to a lot of those guys a lot. Uh, and whatnot, but uh, I think it's something that's uh, it's, it's a it's it's I know I won't ever do it any other way. Yeah, it, it was the way I learned it too. Uh, Denver at at Tulsa was the same way, and he was a man sort guy. And I, to me, the 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 biggest intricacies. I mean, if you're going to be a, a six man protection team, we had the running backs with us a lot. I mean, the the running backs are the guys that that have to be on the same page because, like like you're saying, if if you know if I'm three man sorting. And they're bringing, you know, field pressure with four because it's an uneven front. You know, he's got to understand that, you know, I'm not reading, you know, from like, say, corner to, to Will. And now I got to make sure I'm reading Will back to Mike because I'm going to have to be the fourth fitter and get into, you know, quote, get into the sort. And that was always the biggest thing we had to work on. But our guys got, got so good at it because, yeah. like you said, they know it wasn't, wasn't going to be a Ray or a Lee call. Or if it's, oh, if it's a rock and a load call, cool, I'm good, you know. But being able to, to signal those things and have those guys on the same page made life really nice. Ain't no doubt. They, get, they definitely got to be on the same page. That's what, and we're, we're lucky, too, is because, you, know, um, you know, I get the running backs a pretty good little bit. Because our starting tailback, they, they don't play him on any team. He's a backup returner, you know. Um, but the guy, our starting tailback is, uh, you know, during teams, he's usually with me uh, in a lot of those team stuff to start before they break out where he has to go with the skill guys and whatnot. Um, but they, it's definitely, man, they, they have to be on the same page, you know, cause it's, 
you know, especially just like in pro football, you know, your quarterback's going to be your highest paid guy. And, and no matter if you're in college or high school, that guy's usually your, one of your best players. And, and if you don't have one of them guys that can, you know, if you got a good one, you better keep them upright. You know, if you want, if you want to win games, you want to stay employed. <laughs> so. I'd say if you're, I'm guessing in the, in the CFL, that's probably, I mean, obviously the guy has to be able to, to run the ball some, but being a, a three down league and you're going to throw the ball a lot. I mean, that almost has to be like, you know, 1A, can you run the ball? And then 1B, can you pass block? Because that's what you're yes. going to do most of the time. There's no doubt. that Those guys, you know, they have to be able to pass block in our league. And I think in any league, but especially, like you said, you know, and two, because you're, they're going to get matched up on some guys that can rush, you know. Yeah. Some, some, you know, because your, your will linebackers can run in, this, in, the, in the CFL. And, your mics are your more traditional type of uh, box linebackers, bigger body guys, and they're going to have to go fit those guys up, you know. So then they got to be able to fit the mic up that's going to bull rush them. They got to be able to fit the wheel up that might try to work that edge and give them a little a little shake, you know. So those guys got to be able to pass protect. Coach, when you guys are doing your, your five-man protect stuff again and you're talking about, you know, the, that day three when you would go back and, and meet with the QBs, it, how many different route combinations are you guys running? I mean, are guys having to convert uh, during some of these combinations or is it all kind of just built in? Like you'll have a plan of, Hey, here's our five, you know, scat protection throws we're going to have where we're protecting with five and, and we know where the built-in hots are going to be. Or is that something that, man, we're, we're going to have to do some adjusting and, and the package is pretty thick. We, we do it two ways. So it's just kind of depending on the concept. Well, it's either the concept's either going to have a hot route that's already built into it, whether it's maybe on one side we have a, a, a slant or double slant or, you know, or whatever. But there's no concepts, no matter if it's five-man pro or hell, even some of our six-man stuff for, for seven-man pressure where the receiver knows he's a hot route. Maybe we're running four burks and, well, we know if he's the high guy, he's got to cross face and win because he sees flats top cover zero, you know. Um, so we're either – we're everything we do, it don't matter if it's six-man or five-man, it's either going to be a, a hot route that's built into it or a receiver knows that his route has to convert to be the hot route on that concept. And um, our, our coordinator and our quarterback coach, they spend a lot of time making sure our quarterbacks understand who that is in route. And I tell you the thing I like that they do so – we still, even though it's, you know, it's still a fast-paced game, 20 seconds is, is so our quarterback on his wristband, when on, on his play call, the, uh, the whatever his hot route is, it's a different color. It's like in red, it's just as a reminder as he's calling the play. Uh, wow. So uh, that's one thing that, um, that I, like that. I a pretty cool little deal. If you, if you use bands for your quarterback to call plays in the huddle, if you do huddle, you know, because, you know, that just – it's just a, another little alert for him, you know. So – but everything we're going to do is has got a, a hot route built into it already or it's got a hot adjust route on it. I like that too. I mean, just knowing – I mean, if, if you're seeing zero, especially at the high school level, you know, I can see it from the box or maybe I can see it from the sideline, you know, being able to, to give your kid – you know, like you said, just a, a code word or whatever, like, hey, mayday, mayday, alert, alert. And he can just, like you said, check his band because, you know, now he's not, you know, or he's freaking out. He forgets what the check is. He can just look at his band, you know, check to that play as well because, you know, most high schools aren't going to change 
you yeah. know, when you, when you know it's zero anyway. So I, I, that's a, that's a great nugget coach. Appreciate that. Oh, no worries. And I, I think the biggest thing for me that I, I have to really like our quarterbacks, especially at our level, if they're bringing six and we're in five man protection, they know they're going to be hot unless it's, you know, you can, unless it's man free and they're going to pill and eat with a wide guy, then, then we're probably picked up. Right. To me, it's the five man pressures where no matter how many time, how much sleep you lose or how, how long you spend doing the protection plan, you can't pick up everything. Even if you're in a five-man protection and only bringing five, you're not going to be right 100% of the time. It's getting the quarterback to understand almost which five-man pressures for that week that he understands he's got to get the ball out because we're not going to be able to pick it up, even though they're only bringing five. So, Coach, uh, uh, you know, obviously th this is, you know, kind of gold for me, but uh, also kind of curious, you know, you, you come uh, from the States and, and how, how do you make that leap over to going to, to Canada to coach football? I mean, did you, did you know a whole lot about the Canadian game? Uh, had, you, had you ever really uh, covered it much as you, were, as you were coaching here in the States? How, how was that jump or, or what kind of – brought about that jump and was that a, a thing that um you know almost seemed like to me it'd be seem like a daunting task because you I know you know football but you got to learn all this this other extra things that go along with it now you know I, I well how I I before I came up I, I really I knew I didn't know much I knew a little bit just because we've had some college players that we've coached that you know that had gone up there to play and I had a quarterback that had gone up there and played a little bit. Uh, uh, he played for about four or five years. Had some other players and, and didn't know a whole lot, you know. Um, and because you know how it is, with, especially with recruiting, you don't get a lot of you don't get a lot of time to study other things. When you're studying other things, of course, you're probably looking at NFL teams or other college programs or whatnot in the off season and everything. But um, how I kind of got in is when I was at SMU. Our offensive coordinator at the time, Joe Craddock, who is as good as football coach as you'll find, um, he played quarterback at Middle Tennessee, and the linebacker coach for the Riders at the time played with Joe at Middle, and um, we ran into uh, ran into him at the convention, and they were looking for an O line coach, and Joe was like, "Hey, I don't want to lose this guy, but y'all need to talk to this guy," and kind of went from there. So when they hired me, and, and I decided to go do it, um, you know, the hardest thing for me was, is all the kicking game rules. Because <laughs> there's some crazy kicking game rules that just, you know, that you, you just don't see down south. That was the kind of the hardest thing to learn. And of course, there's so much more volume to learn of formations and motions because of the 12th guy and all the different types of motions you can do with the waggles and the guys, you know, all the motions you can do. So your, your library or motions and your library of formations is, is so much more that was those two things were probably the the hardest hurdle initially to to, to to try to get over you know is learn all the formations all the motions and also some of these kicking game rules holy moly man there there's some crazy yeah there's no doubt I, I've got a buddy um that that's a uh that's actually been on the podcast and he's a he's a punter and and he tried to uh tried to explain all the different kicking rules and and I guess you can uh score it sounds like with punts and and all of that stuff and and um I got a little bit of it down but uh it would be it'd be, it'd be quite a bit it is and heck I still still I've been I've been up there four years uh it'll still be something that pops up I'm like huh 
<laughs> you know, so I, I the first game I ever, the first regular season game, my first year, we're playing Montreal at Montreal, and uh, it was a low scoring ball game, and uh, and you know in the CFL the the game or the half or the quarter is not over, and if there's time still on the play clock, so it could be it could the the, the game clock could be at double zero, no time on the clock, but as long as there's still time on that play clock, it ain't over. Wow. And I forgot that. It's my first game. We're <laughs> down and, and we're going, we're trying to kick a long field goal to, to win the game. We're down one and I'm freaking out on the headsets. We're not going to get this off. We're not going to get this off. And our special teams coordinator just put his hand around me and just goes, remember, the game's not over as long as there's time on that play. <laughs> oh, <that's not> <laughs> uh, <laughs> So it's a, uh, that, 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 and that's been a fun, I tell you, that's the, after being up there, you know, I still do, you know, watch a lot of college games, a lot of NFL games, and do a lot of studying in the offseason. And the thing that it's done for me is it, it kind of looks – the game down south kind of looks slow. You know, you know, not being on that big field and then not, like, not having five guys in motion. Mm-hmm. The game kind of looks slow, you know. and uh, But it's a, it's a fun game. I, I've enjoyed my time up there. I really have. Well, Coach, you mentioned you are you were one of the the few teams that are still heavy inside zone, and, and you run a lot of gap scheme, uh, you know, power specifically. What are uh, what are some reasons uh, that you you think maybe you don't see that much in the Canadian League, and and why is that something that you guys have decided to stick you know to stick to? And and obviously after this season, it seems like it was a uh, a pretty good choice. Well, I think the biggest thing is is you know because. You guys know that when you're, when you're looking and game planning in the run game or building your run game, you're always trying to find numbers advantages or you're trying to find angles. And in the CFL is everybody does a pretty decent job of always matching body for body. And so we just – I just came to the – because when you're running power in the CFL, you're running true just six-man power, you know, just with your, with your, with your tight end or with your fullback and, and, and the pulling guard. then you know, there's a lot of times CFL teams can outnumber you. Well, we find ways with our motions to get that numbers advantage back or to try to make their worst DB tackle our tailback in space and make him be the free hitter. And we're more willing to do that than other teams, in my opinion, of saying, hey, we're going to run power. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna bring this receiver down to dig this DB out right here, and we're going to leave this DB right here who's going to be a little higher and we're going to have to make – he's going to have to tackle our back, you know, one-on-one, you know, 10 to 15 times, all right? And I just – I just, you know, and I just don't know if a lot of other teams feel comfortable of, you know, or will completely commit to saying there's going to be a, a free hitter somewhere on the front side of the corner of the pack. You know, yes, he's going to be high, and you'll still see that down south a lot, you know, but I, I think that's the and, – and I think it has a lot to do with my background too is that, you know, I've always been a huge inside zone and power guy. You know, I just, I just always have been. And I just, I committed that because my first year we didn't up there, you know, we really didn't run any power. And that all season, I'm like, we're going to, I'm going to find a way for us to freaking run power and run it effectively. And, um, and I think that's the biggest thing. And, the, you know, and the other thing is you got to have a lot of, you know, built-in answer for pressure with even in the run game up there, you know, and uh, and whatnot. So, 
um, I think that's the biggest thing. That's the best answer I have while a lot of teams have. You know, teams will still run counter. They'll still run, you know, whether it's counter with the guard and tackle or with the uh, – um, with the guard and the, or the, and the tight end, you know. And I think the, the, the other thing, too, is, uh, you know, is it has to do with, 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 with your fullback tight end, you know. you got to have a good one of those. And, you know, in the CFL, your, your tight end is usually going to be a Canadian guy, you know, because you're usually not going to use one of your American spots for a tight end or a fullback. You know, you're going to use your receiver, your tailback, your DBs, you know, for, for your American spots in the CFL. And, and I think that's been the big thing. And we, we were fortunate to, you know, we've had a, a pretty a pretty good uh, block tight end and fullback at, uh, last year. And uh, he was hurt a lot this year. And uh, the guy we had there did a pretty decent job. He was young. But I think that's the biggest thing is, you know, just, you know, are guys willing to sit there and, and say that, okay, I'm going to make their worst DB continuously tackle our tailback as the free hitter. Or you know they don't feel like their their tight end fullback can one on one and handle a defensive end at the point of attack. Well, you mentioned you got to have some answers uh, when they do heat you up. Uh, I would assume some of those are are some different play actions that you do maybe off of power. Uh, are, are you guys going to pull your guard uh, when you do some of those play actions? Maybe even uh, power pass or some of those play actions that you guys have, or do you guys like to keep him in uh, when you run those play actions? Uh, we'll do both. We will pull them some. We'll pull them too. You know, we'll pull them uh, a lot like with some of the stuff the Patriots you see them doing off the off the power pass and stuff like that. Uh, probably need to do that some more. Uh, really do. Um, you know, and we we'll, we usually even if we have power call, we'll have we'll hop we'll have a a hot throw built in just in case we need to. Or you know, there's some things that that we're just going to live with. You know, but uh, you know, we'll you know. We'll probably play action a lot more this year, you know, but we have in the past pulled that guard. Probably, like I said, need to do it a little more. Uh, I tell you the thing that I've really been intrigued with watching, studying the Ravens this offseason is they run a lot of naked boot off of power action where, you know, they're capping that backside in and uh, and whatnot. And that, that's something that I definitely – actually, because I'm going to Vegas for some staff meetings at the end of this week, uh, one thing I got on my list of things to talk about is looking, trying to get our new coordinator – you know, that's something that, that I want to get get in and do because it, it's I really like what the Ravens were doing off of that uh, and whatnot and, uh, and everything. But we also we could we could have that we could have that power pass called or 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 play action off of power. We're still pulling the guard. Or we can have power call where we get certain looks where we can basically make stay calls where we're not going to pull the guard and it basically turns into duo. You know, um, because we'll see a lot of whether it's stand-up or bigs, we'll see a lot of, especially this year, we saw a lot of one three five to a side, whether we're getting 4-2 personnel, whether we're getting a five-big personnel in the game, or we're getting a lot of one three five to the backside, and it's just – it's no reason beating your head against the wall, so we just turn it into duo. We make a stay call, and we turn it into duo. And it's the same way we would do on the play action as well. I got you. Yeah, so uh, you guys just get to make that kind of uh, option uh, depending on whatever you guys are seeing that week. Yeah, and I built it actually about halfway through this year. I made it as a rule on power now. Huh. Anytime we get a, any type of – whether it's a, any type of bug down or true bigs, anytime we get a true one three five, no matter how it's arranged, whether it's stand-up or, or they're handling the dirt, we're going to make a stake call and turn it into duo. Huh, that's a really interesting way to do it. Yeah. You know, so we've 
we've in the past, you know, arced, you know, arced the five and kicked the five, but that's a really good, I mean, that's a really good and simple way to just, you know, and, and I'm sure you guys, you know, probably don't have a lot of abilities. That's interesting. I've never even thought about that with such a, a short uh, play clock. You guys probably don't have the ability to go up there and kill another play or change the play. But as you as offensive linemen can just make that really uh, quick, easy adjustment, um, then you, you get that done on the fly. Yeah, and it and it, it worked out really well for us too. You know, we 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 will still have some kills, but we don't. We try to limit that a little bit. Uh, you know, for multiple reasons, play clock being one uh, and, and whatnot. But um, a lot of our kills are going to be based on formation structure type of deals. But uh, it's it's just it's just a good tool for them, you know, because you're beating your head against the wall. You really are, you know. And, you know, you're creating a short corner on the backside, if you, and that's a tough block for that tackle to squeeze off that backside three because your center's getting eat up with a one and can't bypass it. And, you know, and then, well, is, this, is, that, is, is the one going to slam across the center's face the front side A gap? Is he going to be able to bypass him or not? And so we just we just started saying, the heck with it. Hey, we get a one three five on the backside, let's make a stay call, and we're going to turn it into duo. Coach, is there any other scheme runs that you guys put in kind of during the week, maybe, you know, for, for, for pressures or, or certain looks you might have? What, what are some of your go-to kind of schemes or, you know, traps or trick them and dick them stuff? Yeah, you know, I, you know, we do. You know, you know I, I, I still am a big believer in the, in the, you know, whatever you put, if you're going to put something in during the week or something, it, you, it's still got to have answers versus, you know, everything. Um, you know, I, I try as much as I can and to try to keep it to our base stuff. But of course, if there's something, you know, we've had in the past some, some checks for some seven up looks, we're going to run, you know, some type of trap play or run some type of, you know, speed option into it, uh, something along those lines, uh, and, and whatnot. But, um, you know, our big thing is I try to find answers to our base runs that'll that'll hurt those those types of deals. You know, um, you know, like I said, I, I love outside zone. Uh, we haven't majored in it the last few years. We have a new coordinator now, so we'll see how much um, we'll get into it this year uh, and whatnot. Uh, but you know, I you know you know back in the day, you know you, you used to love running outside zone. I, I used to love outside zone into in into pressure, away from pressure. It didn't matter. You know, you could get some good creases in there, but you know, we, we're, you know, we try, I try to find answers for everything they do for our, our base stuff. You know, of course, there's going to be certain things here or there. You know, of course, all these fancy whams and double traps and all this stuff. I love that stuff. That stuff looks great. But if you don't get that great look and it's a muddied up look, mm -hmm. one time versus that muddy up look, you know, your coordinator ain't ever coming back. To it. <laughs> That's right. You know? You know, and, and I tell you, that's the one thing that, you know, I, I've been fortunate. I've, I've, had, I've had some veteran guys that have played a lot of pro football, and that's the one thing that those guys have kind of put in my ear a couple of years ago that I, I really take to heart is, and they coach, we, you know, we, we put this run play in or this scheme in for this team this week, and we, we lo y'all loved it all week. We loved it all week. And we got that, and we called it in the game, and we got the absolute worst we could pop look that we could possibly get, and it didn't get much, and we never came back to. Mm -hmm. you know, he said, and and just a player that's played a lot saying that to me just put it in my mind like, yeah, we just, I got to do a better job staying in our coordinator's ear. So hey, that was I know we didn't get a lot on it. Hey, we put we put this in for this team this week, 
and we got the absolute worst look we could possibly get, hey, let's come back to it and give it another chance, you know. And, you know, the, a player, you know, it's about giving your players ownership. A player tell me that, it just it really resonated with me a lot. That's awesome. And I think, too, like you said, you know, with, with just your base schemes and, and you've outlined, you know, two, three, four different things that you guys do adjusting on the fly, you know, uh, maybe it is a fold call off your inside zone or maybe it's, a you know, pulling a tackle or something like that off your power play. You know, you can kind of get that, you know, little you know, premium look when, when the guys see it on the field, you know, and they, and they can now kind of check to it or make the call and, and then make it right instead of, like you said, maybe calling the, the scheme run and then kind of getting screwed with the, the bad look, you know, let the guys make you right. Yeah, no doubt about it. So just give them the tools in our tool, tool belt, you know, it's like, you know, you know, we're, we're running inside zone and our, on our, our backside double, you know, our guards, our guards getting hell. Can't get a blind by our guards getting hell. Well, make a fold call. Let's fold it and let's get them up and let's go until you're able to get off of it, you know. And, and just like you said, it's just about giving them, you know, giving them the, you know, enough tools in their tool belt where, you know, like you said, they can make you right in the game. Coach, I'm kind of curious, you know, when you get into the professional, you know, you're in professional football, you're with, you know, some of the best of the best offensive linemen, how much uh, technique coaching goes into that uh, with those guys? I'm sure there's a spectrum between guys you've had there for eight years and guys that are first-year rookies, but uh, how much technique uh, are you spilling into those those more veteran guys, or or is that almost all film and, and getting them – uh, mentally prepared well you know I can only speak for myself I don't you know I, I'm always going to be a te technical guy everything's going to always start with fundamentals you know I guess because I coach college football for so long and of course there's certain there, there's certain things veteran guys that are very good at that maybe that I don't necessarily agree with but you got to just be able to throw them bones and as long as it's working for them I might not change it, but as it's not working, we're going to change it. Um, and the first thing you have to do is you just got to gain their trust. You know, if they know that you know what you're talking about and they they know you can help them, you know, um, and, and veteran guys, they want to keep playing. And the best way to keep playing is listen to the coach. <laughs> you know? and, <laughs> yeah. You know, and they, and you know, and so we're always tweaking things. There's some things that, I, there's certain things that are non-negotiable for me, but there's certain things I'll have leeway on, right? And, I, and I'll use this for example. I, I believe in skip pulling on power. I, I believe in it. But that's, I, that's one thing that if I have a guard that is – that's one thing in pro football that I haven't been a stickler on is if you, if you don't like skip pulling and you get the job done, we're not going to – we're not – I'm not going to beat my head over a wall, you know, with it, you know. Uh, so I have some guys that skip pool and I have some that don't, you know. Uh, but if, you know, what we're doing on the backside of, you know, if you're the uncovered guy on inside zone, that's non-negotiable. <laughs> what footwork you're about to use, you know. Um, and I think the biggest thing with these veteran guys is, is, is like I said, you got to gain their trust. If you know, if you, if they know you can help them, then they'll listen to you all day. Um, and the biggest thing is making – don't make wholesale changes right off the bat. You have to make little subtle changes as you go. You know, um, I'll use this for example. Like my, my starting left guard is probably one of the one of the best five Canadian offensive linemen to ever play in the CFL. He'll, he's a future Hall of Famer. 
And, you know, like, you know, we changed himself in his, up in his stance last year, and, and it, he greatly benefited from that, you know. And But it wasn't – I knew my first year, like, we couldn't make a wholesale change with that. So we had to make some tweaks as we go. And I think the biggest thing is getting those veteran guys to understand, you know, you know, because I'm, I'm a firm believer in this, is that you, as a, a great offensive lineman, they understand their weaknesses just as much as they understand their strengths. Right? I had a – three years ago, we had a right guard that was 36 years old, and he had 17 rolls of tape on his body in the game. You know, he, he – so his lateral movement wasn't what it was when he was 23 years old, you know. So, you know, my big thing was him was, why would you ever set on the inside edge of the guy? You, you're strong. You st- you're still really strong. You never get beat on a bull rush. Make everybody bull rush you. Why would you ever settle on an inside guy giving those guys two-way goes and, and letting them guys hi-hat rush you doing different things? Make them bull rush you. Set that guy so he has to bull rush you every time. And that's the biggest thing with these veteran guys is still it's just making tweaks as you go. But like I said, I'm a firm believer in, you know, I know a lot of people I was worried about when I came, you know, it's all it's about schemes, this and that. But I'm still a big, big believer, especially in offensive line play, that it's, it's technique. It starts with technique. You know, starts your feet and works your way up, and and, and and for me, it's never going to change. I love what you said about the uh, the trust portion too, Coach. I, I think it's so cool as a coach, and, and it's kind of like the aha moment when you're working with a player is when when they start to like go to you. So they're like, "Hey, Coach, I got a question," or "Hey, Coach, you know, I've 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 been noticing this on film. You know, can you help me fix this?" I think you know once they can have that conversation with you you're kind of like all right yeah now now we're on that level he trusts me he's asking me questions yeah and, and no doubt and I, and the way i kind of run my room in pro football and is you know i give my guys a lot of accountability in what we're doing I, and i give those guys say so like if they have an idea whether it's technique or they want to try something i'm all for it. let's try it and and see how it looks you know if it's one of our non-negotiable things and or if you got an idea of a something for the game plan that week, we're all for it. But our guys understand that I, I give those guys as much freedom to have a voice in my room as probably anybody in pro football. But they understand is once we've made a decision, that's the route we're going and, and the door shut. You know, but because we all have to be on the same page. That guy can't see it one way. This guy see it another way, this and that. You know, because all these guys have played a lot of football and they probably played for 14 different offensive line coaches. So they've learned a lot of different ways to do things. But by giving, but by giving them a voice, it gives them some accountability of what they're doing. And that helps build that trust as well, you know. And, you know, uh, and I, if I give them free reign to do something, I tell them, well, I'm letting you do it. So you, you better get the job done. And we're going to change that. But, um, you know, I think that's the biggest thing is, is, is giving those guys some, uh, a voice and some things, gives them some ownership in it and, and whatnot. But there's also they have to understand that time, okay, we've given, you, we've given you a voice, okay, but now this is the way we're saying we're going to get it done, this is, and now this is the way we're going. Well, Coach, this has been uh, a great hour for me. Like I've already said, I, I've already I stole a ton from you, and I'm going to go – listen to it again tonight and then when it comes out obviously as well uh but the thing that I always like to end you know kind of end with is is asking guys you know when you're watching another team's offensive line uh, what's some things they'd be doing that would make you think highly of their offensive line coach 
I think the number one, to me, the number one thing is, is, is I like seeing Priest now. What, what do they look like? You know, do they look like they're ready to play football? You know, and because my high school basketball coach used to always say about me, he's like, you know, I couldn't, you know, we, we, we played man-to-man defense and I couldn't, I couldn't guard nobody. I was, I was a slow white fat guy, you know, but nobody ever scored on me because I looked like I could play defense. You know, what is your demeanor and what is the presence that, that you're, you know, showing at the line of scrimmage is the first thing. And I think the second thing is, is just how those guys communicate together and just in, in how they finish, you know. And just how they finish, you know, that's the biggest thing. You know, you, yeah, you can sit there, oh, this guy, oh, you can tell these guys set well. This, that. I just think it's about, you know, the presence. What type of presence are they presenting at the line of scrimmage, and then how are they getting off the ball and finishing? I think that is the big thing, you know, for for me. Anyway. Coach, man, this hour has been a blast. Like I said, I got a I got a whiteboard full of stuff. You probably heard the the squeaking as we were talking there. So appreciate you uh, you sharing some things and. Uh, you know, would love to get an opportunity to uh, to talk with you further and uh, and stay in touch, man. You've uh, you've been awesome. Appreciate you. Yeah, yeah. Anytime, guys. My my door is always open. I love talking ball, and y'all can hit me up anytime. I'll be more willing to to share whatever I got with you and 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 answer any questions you guys might have. You know, and because this time, and that's what I love about this time of year for me as a pro football coach is that. Everything for me right now is evaluating guys for the draft and free agency and studying. I, I, I get more time to study other other people and talk ball to other people than I ever did in college football. And, and so this time of year is, 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 a, is, is a great time of year for me, and I enjoy this time of year just talking football and, and learning as well. And that's going to do it for this episode of RTP. We want to again thank all of our sponsors. You guys make sure and go check them out. Help grow our community by telling other coaches about Run the Power. And if you enjoy Running the Power, go get your shirt, long sleeve, or hoodie at runthepower.com. Also, if you have any topics or any questions you would like for us to discuss in the next podcast, simply rate our podcast and then leave a comment in the writer review section of the podcast app. This will help our podcast rating as well as it will allow us to answer the questions you all want answered. Make sure and go check out our blog at runthepower.com. Follow me on Twitter at Harper underscore Coach and Coach Walls at Coach Brady Walls. Run the Power now also has its own Twitter and Instagram, and you can find that at Run the Power. Hope you guys enjoyed this one. Talk to you soon.